You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Hey all, Michael Graham here, one of the pastors of the Village Church. Um, Today we are jumping into teaching roundtable recap, session four. So that's one third of a year we've been doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, And today we're talking about setting tension. And so we just want to give a recap uh, discussion around some of the stuff that we talked about this past week. And with me today is... Uh, Scott O'Donohoe, one of the pastors of the village. Kelly O'Donohoe, a member at the village. That's what I went with for April. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to switch it up. Uh, So thanks for being here today, guys. We talked about tension in our roundtable. And people might be familiar with the word, but... My question, why are we talking about that? So what is tension? How would you define that in the context that we're talking about? And why are we talking about setting tension or discovering tension as part of a Bible teaching roundtable? That's a great question. I think, uh, and it is really, it's great in the sense that it's like something that I just assume. And I think we say, I mean, we say a lot, "Ah, I'm not really sure what the tension is. But it's like, uh, what does it actually mean when we talk about Mm -hmm. that? So uh, I'll I'll give you... uh, one little uh, quip from one of the resources that we read, like tension equals attention, which, so I, I say this is twofold. One, um, a guy named Brandon Kelly, he wrote, an easy tension point in the show, uh, he's talking about friends, is the relationship between Ross and Rachel. Everyone sees that they should be an item, like they should be together. However, the writers of the show do a great job at not just letting it happen, your greatest desire in watching that show is to see them end up together. Why? Because they created massive tension around their relationship. And so, man, we get to do that. And, like, there's some appeal in that. We'll talk about storytelling and lots of other things. Um, so the other side of that is, um, as we've talked about transformation in the past, uh, if you're not setting, like, a fallen part, a void, uh, uh, some rub, some tension then it's going to be tough to have a resolve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think when we're bringing the Bible to bear um, on people's lives, there should be a gap between what things should be or maybe how things ought to be or how we should be and the way things really are. Um, yeah, and that gap, uh, there ought to be some tension, either some like curiosity or some uh, suspense or some whatever to that. Like, how do I how do I solve this problem or what's at the root of this or what am I supposed to do here? Um, what is the fix for, you know, the world or what have you? Um, yeah. And I think like that specifically is more than even just like attention or more than like, like tension is more than just uh, a way to try to gain a captive audience, but it's captivating because it becomes personal. Um, yeah. And so I think it's like, it's, it's something that I can see myself in or the stakes become personal for me in some way, shape, or form. And so when we're preaching or we're teaching, it's not just, oh, that's really neat and that was really entertaining, but, oh, like I was on the edge of my seat because I was the one you were talking about or I was the one in the story. I was the one to, even to Ross and Rachel, like, or a football game. Um, <laughs> like we were rooting for someone and we take ownership, whether we should or not, and like, their relationship or in this team winning or losing or in that kick or in that whatever. And, um, yeah. And so there's tension built there because it's, it's not just, 
entertaining, but it's a, we, we make it personal in some way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's good. So Michael, you had Angie Dickin talk to us about tension when it comes to creative writing. She's a writer by profession. I think she would say that, right? I can say profession. Yeah. <laughs> Angie, you're a writer. <laughs> she knows. Um, so she talked to us about what that looks like when it comes to creative writing. And there were tons of similarities and there were also some differences in terms of how we mean or use tension in Bible teaching. Mm-hmm. So Scott, as someone who also has dabbled in creative writing, is that minimalist? Not that you've dabbled in. I'm just saying you're not no, doing you're it as fine. a profession. Yeah. <laughs> but you are a creative writer as well and you're also a Bible teacher. So what did you see in terms of similarities, differences, and what can... And it was so good. I thought it was brilliant of you, Michael, to ask Angie to talk about that. I learned a ton. So what can we as Bible teachers learn from the way that creative writers use tension? Yeah, it's really good, too. It was helpful, I think, just to even... Angie, I'll, I'll try to do justice to what you shared. I'm sure I'll butcher <laughs> it in some way, shape, or form. But it's just helpful to have someone on the outside who understands even the structure of that and can yeah. put words to things that, to your point, it's like, how do you even define it? How do you talk about it? So it was really helpful. Um and so uh, kind of what Angie laid out is like like conflict, suspense, and tension. Um, and conflict, obviously, there's like two, some, two actors of some sort, whether they're people or intangible or whatever, that are in some kind of conflict with one another. They're at odds in some way, shape, or form. There's suspense built because there are stakes um, to that conflict. Something's going to happen you know, based on what happens or what doesn't happen there. And then the tension is like us sitting on the edge of our seat when those stakes become real and personal to us. We become invested um, in those things. And so when we look at, uh, yeah, stories or narrative or whatever like that, I mean, um, it's it's an element. Those are all elements that you want to have a part of your story when you're writing it. When it comes to the scriptures, um, hey, I think we see some of that even in some of the narrative stuff that we see in the scriptures, even like... I was thinking of it as purely a, a narrative device, but I think we, we see it in the Psalms. Um, even David, like, crying out in despair and the, the stakes, you know, between him and his enemies and all these things, and yet God, in the end, like, comes and, like, he cries out to him with assurance of victory and all that. You know, like, there's, we even see it in different parts of the scriptures. Not all of them, you know, when you're reading Leviticus and through the law, like, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of tension there. <laughs> stakes, for sure. Uh, we see that all over the place, but not necessarily, like, personal tension. Um, yeah, and so those things that we see in creative writing that, that draw us and that keep us on the edge of our seat, that make us root for Ross or Rachel or whatever, um, we can bring that into our Bible teaching, not because we're there to entertain or just to get people to feel something, um, but because in reality, we are always living, as Christians, with a Christian worldview, we are always living in a world of conflict and where there are stakes. Um, and I think our job as preachers, teachers, disciple makers is to help people feel and live in that tension um, so that they might then come to be relieved by the gospel and, uh, and and treasure it as something that is sweet and build their lives on it. Because we're always like, we talked about this in the class, there's conflict between our, our spirit and our flesh, like the Holy Spirit and the flesh in us all the time. Um, we are in spiritual warfare. We have an enemy um, that is coming against us. We live in a world uh, that is built on things other than than the Lord and is motivated by things other than the Spirit. And so um, so there's always conflict in our lives. And then the stakes, I mean, like we're, we're talking about eternity when it comes to just like salvation, uh, but then certain certainly sanctification and 
holiness and having joy and a life that is free and all those things like those are stakes um, to the way that we live our life. Uh, yeah, and, and so I think our job as preachers and teachers is to, when we look at the scriptures um, and we want to, to bring those things to bear on people, um, we want to help them see that stuff to understand what the conflict might be there, um, to understand what the stakes are, but then for them to see this isn't just about you know David and Goliath. Um, this is about like you, and not not that you're David. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, <laughs> somebody will start chewing me off. What are the stones? all of the memes about the, the fact stones? that you're not David? Um, but you know what I mean. Like we get to be drawn into that story with the stakes that are there and with the conflict that exists for us today. And and we get to feel that tension and see how, man, Jesus is the one who gets to be the hero, you know, yeah. that does save us from those things. So that's what I would say. Similarities and differences. Anything else? I mean, I think, yeah, it was helpful. And Angie did a great job. Um, and, you know, we chatted before and it was like super, it's an intriguing, um, but encouraging. Um, and I, I tried to tell her, like, you don't have to, bring this to bear in every way that we teach. Just show us what it is mm-hmm. from a writing perspective. But the way the conversation started was like, hey, is like tension a thing when you're like writing? And she was like, literally, it's everything. <laughs> and what I, I would say the difference in in that um, being the goal is to tell a story. Mm-hmm. But when you're teaching, the goal is not to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I guess to seat stuff within a greater story, sure. But the goal is not to merely tell a story. Yeah. So when you're teaching the Bible, it's like tension and whatever else comes with that is, is a tool to elevate the greater truths mm-hmm. um, through compelling oration. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, honestly. Yeah. And so, yeah, to, for me to say, oh, the Ross and Rachel, that's the thing. Man, that is not... Uh, other people might find themselves in a category where it is the only thing. Mm. Like, is this good... Mm-hmm storytelling and it's like well no that's a part of it because if people aren't listening then it doesn't matter what you're saying you're charlie brown's mom and you're (laughs) you know and and i've i've felt that way you you know you feel that way sometimes you're like oh shoot i'm losing them you know like what you you never want to do and so i think because we have these these great truths from the word and because you know i read um for the word of god is living and active okay it's sharper than any Two-edged sword, it's piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints uh, and and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Mm-hmm. Well, that should be reflecting in what we're teaching. Absolutely. And so that is rich, man. Mm-hmm. Like, that's doing work. That is like surgical. That's a procedure. And if you think just going up and like, wah, 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 like talking through some content is going to get people there, um, that's probably not true. Yeah. Um, and certainly in these, we're talking about practice. So we're not minimizing the work of the Spirit. We're not minimizing the work of prayer. All those things for this conversation, we'll assume. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, so the difference being in writing, it's everything. In teaching, it's a tool mm-hmm. to make the main thing the main thing. Um, and, and to make sure that we have some, uh, to that point, Scott, of like the Bible exposing us. And yep. so there's there's sin's work. Um and, and the way that comes to bear for me or through me, mm-hmm. or on me, whatever. Like, we have to sit in that. I think every time we open the Bible, mm-hmm. that should be apparent. Whether it's suffering, things happening to me, or it's sin that's predominantly working through me, if we can get everyone to sit in that together, 
man, then, then we have like some tension because, well, that doesn't feel good. That's not honoring to God. That's not good for community. That's not. Uh, and then we show Christ's work. So sin's work, Christ's work. Okay, then he ultimately like relieves and undoes and he satisfies where sin doesn't and um, you know he succeeds where I don't and, and all those things. And then, then it, he opens the floodgates to newness of life, which is joy, um, delightful obedience, faithfulness, and, and the fullness of life that he invites us into. So if you don't start with tension, then you're just sharing some thoughts, yeah. and that's a little different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the one of the things that Angie shared, too, that I think is a personal favorite of hers is like uh, situations in which the protagonist... Um, you know, they're put in a position, what are they going to do in this conflict? What are the stakes or whatever? And like, they could choose to do nothing or they could choose to do something else. And her preferred thing is when the inaction, like when not doing anything actually costs more than having to choose to do something. Like there's still a cost to the action, but there's a greater cost to the inaction. And I think even like if you follow the arc that you just kind of described in a sermon or in a group discussion or in a one-on-one conversation, like I think we also get to present to people and make clear what the cost of action and inaction are. What are the options before you, um, and encourage them to choose one, right? Because we can. Uh, it, it's not like we're we're left on a cliffhanger waiting for next week's episode. You know, every week, like we are, we are the character in the story. Like that's kind of what we get to do. We're not the main character. Jesus is, <laughs> but like we we are in the story and so what are we going to do about this conflict and these stakes that we've now been presented with are you going to are you going to repent and believe right or are you going to choose to stay where you are and the reality is there's a greater cost at staying where you are than you know making that leap to repent and believe to not choose is to choose <clears throat> right and again for Angie's sake uh, I'm continuing to watch the second thor I've not gotten through it yet and <laughs> in the context doesn't matter but I he literally said the words he's a conversation with his dad and he's like, if you go this way, then the whole world will be over. And he said, but if we don't, the like the the like danger will be worse or whatever. He literally yeah. said it was like action that's exact that's exactly it. Yeah. Like to sit here and do nothing is to whatever. So <laughs> super that was cool. one of my favorite things she said too. And I'm not a creative writer. I can barely tell a story because I just jump to the end. So <laughs> I learned a lot on Sunday. But one of the things that seemed obvious to me is that a writer. <laughs> Uh, no, but look for real. No, she like opens up the last page of a book <laughs> before she starts to read. Here's the punchline. Want to hear a joke? WandaVision. This was a joke too on Sunday because not everyone's into Marvel, but Scott and I watched WandaVision, and Scott is very like purist. Doesn't want to read spoilers. Doesn't like doesn't even open his news feed until he's seen the next episode. Right. Like doesn't want to know any of the things. And I also know way less about comic stuff in general. So anyways, every week I'm like looking for spoilers before we ever watch no the way. episode. That's terrible. And, I'm going, and then it makes it more fun for me though. But that's neither. So I'm not a storyteller. So as she was talking on Sunday, um, it I think one obvious difference is that when you are creating a story, you get to put tension where you want to. And we are not in any way suggesting that as Bible teachers, we are adding anything to the scriptures. We're not creating tension in the scriptures. We're not adding tension. One of my personal pet peeves, like I'm all about people that are good storytellers. I think because I can't do it, I appreciate when other people are, but I cannot stand when a Bible teacher starts to take too many liberties and attributes um, motives that aren't clear, aren't there, or starts, you know, building out too much. um, What's the word? Like giving you, like I'm all for visual pictures. Embellishing. I don't like when they embellish. That's a good word. Yeah. Because I think 
it, that is such a compelling um, element of storytelling and teaching that it's hard to forget that stuff. And so I don't want teachers adding things to the story that's not there that's going to then stick with the hearers in a way mm-hmm. that they can't separate if that's what really happened or not. Yeah, it's my yeah. resistance to like biblical shows and stuff too. And I know <laughs> people keep telling me I need to watch Chosen and it's, apparently it's good. Yeah. But anyway, so um, I think one of the things that was obvious to me was that as a writer, you get to create tension. As Bible teachers, we are not creating tension. Mm-hmm. But as one of my professors in college used to tell us all the time, the truth is stranger than fiction. And since we know that the Bible was written by real people at a real time in history to real hearers, there's tension already there. We don't have to create it. We get to go discover what's already in the scriptures and highlight that in a way that humanizes the text, it humanizes the characters, it humanizes the story mm-hmm. for our listeners. And so, I, I mean, I learned a ton... That was super helpful. The inaction action piece uh, was one of my favorites. I'm reading through Genesis with a friend right now, and we're like right now reading about, I get him confused, Jacob with Leah and Rachel. And it's like, man, the idea of staying versus going. And, you know, he's like, his motives are crap either way. <laughs> Say crap on this podcast. <laughs> hey, we just did. His what? motives are. Bleep it out. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I learned a ton, and it's like this idea that the Bible is so full. We don't need to add to it to make it more interesting, but we do get to highlight for our hearers and our listeners what's there and why they should be interested, how it is compelling yeah. without us ever having to add anything. I, I love that. That's literally like the, the, the last question. Any other thoughts? Or kind of, that's my <laughs> one, start to, I, that's my one thing is like, like being novel is a danger, yeah. right? Yeah. And so like, it, yeah, if you feel like you, if, if your largest thought on a Sunday is how, how do I make this engaging like how do i how do i keep people on the edge of our seats how how do i create tension here and leave people like wanting more like that's that's the wrong thing and so i I love the way you phrase that it's not about creating tension Mm -hmm. i mean we do get to like there's a craft to the the idea of building a sermon or thinking Mm -hmm. through a conversation flow and all that but like we're we're really discovering it like we're exploring people and discovering what Mm -hmm. the tension really is for us between the spirit and the flesh, us and God, mm-hmm. us, whatever that happens to be. I love that distinction. Mm-hmm. It's really good. I mean, we'll, we'll, I'm guessing we'll talk about illustration maybe at some point or, or whatever. But like, it's, it's a whole month. I can't wait. Yeah, it's the same. <laughs> but it's the same thing that if you build a, I mean, uh, taking shots. Or, <laughs> like, it's fine. Like, we do some thematic mm-hmm. stuff or whatever. But like, so I'm not like throwing rocks. But like. If you build out your teaching content around like a clever illustration, mm-hmm. and we and you, that's how books. I mean, you can see like yeah. whatever. Um, the da- the danger in that is like okay, so you then you're going to find the Bible to support your super cool yeah. cloud thought. Yeah. Like, I think we talked about that last time. <laughs> and so just the danger and yeah, mm-hmm. I I would affirm that completely. This is important, right? And and yeah. there is like I remember at the. Uh, Maybe my assessment, like in 2009, X29 deal down at Sojourn, Russ Moore, uh, Russell Moore, like preached, I think, and I remember him saying, like, boring preaching is a sin. Mm-hmm. And, and I just remember, like, huh? <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe, but whatever. Preaching. But, like, but you get the idea. Like, it yeah. should not be. Like, right. when you're exploring the, the hope of the gospel. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, all that to say. I agree. Totally yeah. Agree. Maybe a way to say it is the tension is in service to the text. Yeah. The text yeah. isn't in service to the. Absolutely. And so I think most people said on Sunday, the tension is what helps us care about what's happening in the text. So Mm -hmm. we get to help our listeners and our hearers care about what's on the page because it does apply to them. It is relevant to them. We get to help them see why and how and even just care about the characters in the story. It can be hard to care about people whose names you've heard so many times 
who maybe you've heard the story, maybe you've never heard the story, but if you can't, if you can't understand what's going on or put yourself in a position within the story, then it's hard sometimes to care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we get to help people care by <clears throat> highlighting, highlighting tension. Yeah. So uh, what is an example of teaching you've heard, whether it's Bible teaching or storytelling where tension was used well? And then what happens when we don't use tension well or at all? I remember not much about this, but I remember it was like in my youth pastor days, um, this older guy who, who I love, he's just a sweet guy or whatever. He was not like a, he, he never preached, he never whatever, and it was like a special occasion. They asked him to like give his testimony or whatever. And like, I don't remember a lot about it, um, but what I remember was, this persistent line, and he said, you know, he's building out, his talking about his life, and he said, and at that point, man, I, I was made aware of God, and, and I didn't reject him, but I didn't trust him either. And like, later on, you know, a few years later, he told us, you know, and, and I, I came to this place, and this conversation, whatever, and like, I was made aware of God, and like, you know, I, I didn't reject him in that moment. But I didn't trust him either. And he said that, like these pivotal moments mm. in his life. And I'm just like, I remember being like young and like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like this is really good. <laughs> and I mean, that's not uh, faithful ex- expositional preaching. I'm not saying that. But like the way that he told God's work in his life was like, you're like, so what? You're just screaming like, so what? <laughs> like, when did it happen? And then like it culminated like, you know, so, you know, and I didn't reject him, but I didn't try. And then finally, whatever it was. He came to the point to where, like, and in that moment, all those rejections, you know, like, mm. I saw God's persistence in my wow. life, and I trusted him. And I, I submitted to, you know, Jesus as the Lord of my life. And, you know, and here, I, whatever. And it was just like, dude, that was, like, that was really cool. Like, a, a tactic yeah. that was super impactful, so much that I'm talking about it 20 years later. Wow. Yeah. You know? Um, I think the, uh, maybe the, the ultimate example of this, not in Scripture, is... Paul Washer's sermon to a bunch of young folks. Have, are you two? I'm assuming. Have you seen it? Support? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, he's, I, it's been a while since I've heard it, but he's building out as he's preaching to the, this, like a youth conference, which I don't think he ever got invited back into, but like talking about, to them about worldliness and how, gosh, like, uh, we shouldn't like befriend the world. We say that we're Christians, but then we live totally different, you know, and man, we're called to a higher standard and it's just not okay. And you know, all this stuff. And, um, like, you know, it's something that you think would be like convicting for the people that are there. And so like the people are like clapping for him after he says like something, I don't know what it is. And it's just like (laughs) silence for a minute. And he's like, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. (laughs) So it's like this like bombshell moment. And then, uh, the class on Sunday, Angie gave the illustration for tension of uh, like a rubber band between yeah. you know two fingers. Like if you think about shooting a rubber band at somebody, um, like the conflict are your your two fingers that are opposing each other. The uh, the suspense mm-hmm. is like the the rubber band between the two, but then the tension comes when all of a sudden that rubber band is pulled back and it's pointed towards yourself. That's such a great illustration. Like, that, that's when you start feeling tension because, oh, I see the conflict. Oh, I see the, the stakes. That's going somewhere. It's, but then all of a sudden when you think it's coming to your face, then you, <laughs> you start to care a lot more about it. And that is, that is for me, the ultimate example of uh, like just dropping tension like a bomb. You know, like yeah, like the the biggest uh, finger-pointing back yeah. rubber band gun at your face. 
um, and a sermon. And so I think uh, in the scriptures, I think I think I said this on Sunday, like Nathan's uh, confrontation with David about Bathsheba, and yeah. he like tells this nice story, not nice story, but a uh, <laughs> a, uh, a, a, a a distant story, a disconnected story about you know, hey, somebody stole this other guy's sheep, all that stuff, and it was the only one he had. And, then whatever, and it's like, ah, where's that? David's like, where's that guy? Like, I'm going to kill him. And Nathan's like, you're the man <laughs> did that. It's, it, you see that all the time. And it's, uh, I don't know, like those things stick out and they're powerful yeah. um, because they've drawn someone in mm-hmm. and they, I see the conflict, I see the stakes. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like when, when, you, when you think you're pointing the finger at someone else and you care deeply about it, then you realize yeah. you're the one who's done that same thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's powerful. And that's, you don't leave people there, right? That's oh, in gospel yeah. preaching. We get to preach the gospel and bring resolve and, you know, Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as the hero to those things. But yeah, no, that's what I think of. I got one more. Can I, yeah. share? I mean, it's Please. like famous. Yeah, yeah. It's almost memeish, famous. But like Chandler, Matt Chandler talking about these um, oh. conferences. Well, mm-hmm. I thought you were like going there. So, uh, <laughs> and so he said, this guy's sitting up there and Chandler's like a young whatever, he's like a youth, and this guy takes a rose, mm-hmm. and he, he hands it to the first person, he says, I just want you guys to touch this rose and pass it around or whatever, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, like, one by one by one goes around, and he's talking about, like, ab- abstaining yeah. and non-sexual, purity yeah, purity mm-hmm. stuff, whatever, so the the rose goes all the way through, hundreds of kids, whatever, he gets it up at the end, and, and he's like, you know, like, who would want this rose? Mm-hmm. And it's all, like, withered or whatever, and then, like, Chandler, like, is in... <laughs> The most Chandler, Chandler voice that he has, like, yeah. Jesus wants this rose. And you're yeah. like, yes! yes! Like, oh, my, you know, and yeah. it's like, just, that's power, powerful. Yeah. yeah, and I think what, to highlight a distinction we are trying to make earlier, like, the those things are powerful. We don't remember those things because they were really good stories. Yeah. Oh, that was that was a really funny story that he told. That was really, but like... Like what the impact of those things left wasn't the story itself, but it was what it communicated, what it meant. Yeah. You know, the the power behind that in the gospel or conviction or, mm-hmm. you know, gospel truth or whatever. And so, yeah, again, that's, I think that this is an, we're giving examples of like, of tension that serves the text and mm-hmm. the message of the gospel. Not that, oh, we remember that because it was really clever and it was right. funny, you know. Mm-hmm. If you know us, we are the, la- we are anything but, uh, we don't start with clever lines. <laughs> and, uh, we, we we hope to get there, but like we don't always. So yeah, I'll speak for myself. How about that? <laughs> Fair enough. I love that. I think this is an example. Someone talked about uh, the Titanic, the movie, mm-hmm. and it's like anyone going into that movie, and maybe not anyone. Most people that were watching that movie knew that the Titanic was going to sink at the end. It's a famous historical event, so nobody was watching that movie to find out if the boat sank. <laughs> but it's a three plus hour movie, right, or two mm-hmm. and a half. It's a long movie, and I think I saw it in the theater multiple times, which is not Same. something I do. <laughs> but people kept wanting to watch that movie because. You cared about not just if the boat sank, but you cared about who was going down with the boat, who was going to get off, what was going to mm-hmm. happen between the couple and the story. And they weren't even supposed to, I mean, there were so many things that the tension kept building. And so you knew the boat was going down, but you cared about all of the other things around it by the end because of the way that they highlighted. That right there is, and I have nothing to positively contribute other than to say <laughs> preaching on Christmas or Easter yeah. feels like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, honestly, yeah. in some ways you're like, oh, like, I mean, yeah. surprise, well, yeah. Jesus lives. And yet, you know, like... 
which is the temptation to be novel yes. right. and to be creative, which is like, oh, but what if the, what if it, what if that Titanic didn't sink? You know, <laughs> like such a bad movie. Yeah, like, or what if there was a lifeboat that got away and they landed on some island somewhere? Like, you know, like you just be totally novel and do something different with it. That like, it def- it takes away from the power of the actual thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so yep. yeah, those are good examples. So I mentioned a talk that I heard. I got to go to a conference last weekend. And Paige Brown uh, talked to us about James. I think I meant to find it up before we started this, and I still don't know where it is. I think it's James 4 or 5. Um, but she was talking about worldliness, and she, she's going. She's just following the scriptures and highlighting all these ways that uh, James is diagnosing worldliness in his hearers and their ways that very much felt applicable to us in the audience. And then she gets to the end. I really should have found it. But the, the text ends with its own resolve where James tells his hearers, but God gives a greater grace or something like that. I'll find it in a second. You guys are talking. Um, and so that is the resolve for the tension. And it was just laid out. And she, I mean, I'm not downplaying. She did a great job. It was a lot of people's favorite talk. She exposited the text very well. But the resolve was written right there in in the text for her. And you guys don't always get that, right? We, I don't always get that as a teacher. So um, where's my question? What about when it's not that obvious? How do we find the tension in the text? Since we're not creating tension, how do we find the tension in the text? And then how do we resolve it when it's not just spelled out clearly for us? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, <clears throat> like when I look at, uh, for a, a group conversation, for example, um, when I look at a text, I'm generally trying to ask myself after I've kind of like understood what it means. Like, okay, what is this? What is this asking us, me, to believe? Like, what what is this asking me to believe? What is this asking me to do? Like, how am I supposed to live in light of this? Like, are there commands here? Or even if it's just descriptive, if it's not prescriptive, if it's descriptive, like, man, what, how does this mirror what I've heard God say is true or? Um, how to live, and then it, it's it's almost like why is okay why is that difficult? Um, why can't I believe that sometimes? Why can't I live like that uh, at times? Why do I think I can't anyway? Um, uh, one of the ways when I'm preaching um, and group discussions too, like I try to think about uh, when a, a text if it happens to diagnose a, a problem. Um, or if it does give a solution or whatever to a, a particular kind of sin or um, maybe a, a cultural diagnosis to something, um, like even thinking through what's the, what is the solution that I might bring to the table or that people in my group might bring to the table or that the church at large might bring to the table that's actually not really the solution. <laughs> it's a false solution because we diagnose it as like a false, pro- like a false problem with it as well. So I'm always thinking about um, in those conversations, like, yeah, looking at the scripture, what's it calling us to believe? What's it calling us to do? And just how do we miss that at times? What do we like to believe instead? What's the, the false problem that we diagnose? What's the false solution that we prescribe? Um, and I think in some ways, like that is even in the midst of conversation or preaching or whatever, like that's the tension. Because I think we we often think, oh, oh, he okay, he said, this is the problem. This is the text. You know, this thing is wrong, so the solution is to do, you know, this thing over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Ephesians 5 is a uh, one that I've used quite a bit when it comes to talking about, like, uh, it's before the um, husband-wife stuff, but speaking to sexual immorality and filthy talk, crude speech, joking, all that stuff coming out of our mouths. Like, hey, don't let any of that stuff come out of our mouths. And instead, let there be, and in people's heads, 
like I when I ask this, like, oh, let there be purity, let there be, you know, you know, sexual morality, uh, whatever it happens to be, self-control, whatever. And instead, Paul says, let there be thanksgiving, hmm. which is not what you're expecting um, him to say there. But that's the that's the true solution. We would give a false one because we would say, oh, well, the response to sin surely is my discipline and my obedience Stop. and me doing something different. <laughs> no, the reality is that we get to look at what Jesus has accomplished for us, um, the inheritance that we get to have, and we get to be thankful for all that we have so that what comes out of our mouth and what's in our hearts is not depraved or, you know, longing for something or whatever. So it's a, that, that little passage in and of itself for me is like a, an example of ways that I've come to a scripture and I see, ah, like there's a, people think that, that this is the solution because they actually diagnose the problem as something wrong too, but yeah. here's the gospel resolved to it. So I don't know if that rambling is helpful, but no, like it's it. really helpful. I, I think it's stuff that we've talked about and we'd probably already hit on here, but like if, <clears throat> so you're looking for, well, Kelly, I mean, I don't see space here for us to say this. You talked about you desiring, like, so you get excited about the content. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so this, you, your word's not mine. This is tough for you because <laughs> you just want to, like, tell people the things and they should be excited about it. And so we talked about, like, reverse engineering okay. from that. Like, oh, you have some truth that's meaningful. Why, Kelly, why would that be meaningful? And so you can kind of get there. That's one way to get there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so if it's explicit, then you, like, follow the explicit trail. Mm-hmm. If there's explicit gospel, um, you know, Christ uh, hero types or whatever it is where Christ is, like, um, relative, like, you, you can kind of see it pretty easily or whatever it is, like, you can get to Jesus then, okay, then you're looking at, again, just like you said, the, the broken part, uh, you follow a uh, the, the redemptive thread, you know, breadcrumb, breadcrumb trail of, mm-hmm. of belief and application. So where, where are my beliefs wrong? Where's my application, uh, obedience wrong? Uh, but then, again, you might find the false problem in that. So when you find that in, in a text that doesn't resolve, if it's just looking at, gosh, Genesis, for example, you said you're walking through you might read a whole chapter, and if you're preaching or teaching through a whole chapter, it's just a whole bunch of, like, terrible stuff. That's where mm-hmm. we're at. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, okay. Yeah. Um, and then you don't want to, like, do what's not there or whatever. But so then you paint out the darkness of humanity, and you bring it to bear. This is what, like, getting gaining attention and uh, inducing tension into the, the talk or or teaching or whatever, is getting people to see that, gosh, it is dark. Not just outside of me, but inside of me. This is terrible. So then we get to say maybe like something like, man, we don't see resolve here. Mm-hmm. These people walked in this and all they had was whatever, depending on the context, was. But but we have something different. We mm-hmm. have, like the story, does, our story doesn't yeah. end where theirs did. Mm-hmm. And so we have one who actually overcame or whatever and then it's like and and he did that in the specific way that we can't Mm -hmm. then you're looking at like a gospel reason what we would say like a gospel resolve Mm -hmm. and because that's true and because by faith his life is knit to your life and by faith he sent the spirit that dwells inside of us then by faith we can walk in the same righteous obedience not because that's in us uh, in our flesh but because that's in us by faith in christ and so if nothing else, the application, there's no other way than for that to be 
Christ-centered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you're just looking at the void. Again, in Genesis, this dark world. Oh, gosh, and I live in that, and I feel that. And, oh, yeah, so there's this universal, dark, broken part that Christ redeemed then in different ways in, in the future. And, and for us, he has redeemed in the past. So as an, an accurate paraphrase of what you're saying, sometimes highlighting the tension is just looking at, like I'm thinking of, so I'm reading, It's she's coming over today, we're reading Jacob and Leah and Rachel, and it's just a terrible story, just all around. The whole thing is terrible. And so the tension being just that it's it shouldn't be this way, that they, they continue to do things apart from the Lord, and that the resolve for us today in this chapter, these couple of chapters, might be, well, then maybe we'll talk about this after. So I'm like, what's the resolve? I don't even know that God works anyways and he preserved the rep. But, you know, you don't want to go outside of the scripture you're in. I feel like this is maybe a, a personal problem that I need to no, talk it's good, through though. later. The family line, yeah. and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like honed in on that specifically, right. but it is very regular throughout Genesis mm-hmm. that you're like, literally, the preservation of the family line that would culminate in Christ through no work of anyone that's contributing mm-hmm. literally anything. No mm-hmm. one is doing what is right. Right. None yeah. of them. Yeah. And yet God and is... God blesses put, them anyways. Yeah. yeah. I mean... No, it's good. I mean, I, uh, we talked about... Uh, Angie mentioned, like, defamiliarization. Yes. With the text. And I think, ironically, sometimes that comes with making the text feel familiar hmm. to us in some ways. Like, not in a... Not in, oh, I've heard this a million times, but in, oh, I can, I relate to this. And I just remember when we preached through Genesis, like, I don't know how many times I said, it's funny, like, how relatable hmm. this stuff is. Not not because, like, <laughs> not because I personally have experienced everything that they've experienced, you know. But just the reality, it's like you're peering into a family. Mm-hmm. Like, you're peering into people's That's lives. True. And they're just, they're humans, like yeah. the rest of us that are... They're like botching stuff up yeah. all the time and they have desires, they have needs, um, they have think, goals that they want to achieve and all that stuff and longings and promises, but unfulfilled promises and, you know, like just all of that stuff. And so um, I think sometimes we can, like it's, this is part of creating tension is helping us see ourselves in the lives of those people in some way as saying, hey, this isn't just some like, you know, storybook guy and we draw some morals out of it, but like. These are real people, and God loved these people, and He, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to slap them around sometimes, but He promised them, was faithful to them, and like, and so, I don't know. I, I think like defamiliarization super helpful, and sometimes in certain passages that comes from actually like, okay, what are the familiar Relating. things from this? If we understand what the text meant, mm-hmm. then we can know what it means, and so how does that then become familiar to us today? How do I get Sarah? Like, how do I get Abraham? How do I understand Jacob's plight? I've never been in a situation like he was in, but how do I, like, what's going on there that I can know? Again, not with being novel and creating stuff or whatever, but like, what does that, what does that look like, you know, in my life? And so, I don't know. Yeah, that's good. If you read it as if like the office film crew filmed it, (laughs) then you might, to bring it into like the real, you're like, what is happening here? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. so Uh, nutty. Um, in case anyone's like taking notes, I know you're not, but the passage that I couldn't think of, it's James 4, oh, where is it? Uh, 6, but he gives a greater grace there. <laughs> Just want to put that out there. Okay, so, uh, what did I say? How do we find the text? Did you want to talk about your funnel, Michael? That you gave us a Well, I mean, I think just Sunday. the way this shows up, I think that's what I was getting at is this can all hang out in theory all day long, and yep. how do you build up yep. something? And so the way that I, 
I was talking about it at length some other time, but like yeah. in the flow of like a sermon for me, if you like envision a funnel, um, in the very top of it would be like an intro. It's trying to gather all of the, I mean, certainly attention, but really just gather all of the, the people sitting separately in a room, mm-hmm. um, and within you know two minutes, trying to get all of them like to a shared space. Mm-hmm. And if if they can get in that shared space with the with the hearers of the text that we're preaching on today, and and there's a felt need that's like uh, what we've said this regularly, but like a universal mm-hmm. uh, truism, mm-hmm. a universal truth, a universal felt need of failure or, or of whatever it is of brokenness and then you say oh yeah you know and, and it might it might transition like um well you don't you know you may we don't obviously we're not uh seeing angels today mm-hmm. like we see here but we've all been in a situation where you and then it's like oh okay like you're all on the same plane or whatever then that kind of funnels and and culminates to like a pinpoint of like um the main idea and that would be like so that's what I'm trying to do in the first five minutes of a sermon is like get everyone tracking with, have something in it, somewhat intrigued, and get to a place to where it's like, yeah, there is this universal brokenness and that this text is going to expose today mm-hmm. and, and, and whatever. And so then we start working through the text. And, uh, and again, it doesn't have to be three points, but maybe it's three points. And in each of those, you're really working towards a, a gospel resolve. And it might be small in each of those points mm-hmm. but really the, the kind of the body of a sermon is it might be increasing tension mm-hmm. but at some point by the back two-thirds of the sermon there has to be a a point to where this pressure that's been building resolves and it's like oh gosh like yeah yes and i and to your point scott i thought it was me doing this but turns mm-hmm. out it's not it's not my faithfulness at all it's it's god's faithfulness yeah. demonstrated on the cross and Oh, okay. And then, so what does that look like? And that would be like the changed lives or the, the fullness of life that God is always inviting us into. And so, yeah, and so then it would flout, the funnel would kind of flout back out mm-hmm. and it would like open the floodgates, so to speak, to the fullness of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sh- can, can shape, take different shapes based on like what your strategy is for that mm-hmm. particular teaching or talk or sermon or whatever, mm-hmm. but... I think that's a pretty consistent template that you're going to have a felt shared tension universally um, and then in there the text or the gospel um, will will resolve that um, through the text and then you will see the fullness of life by the finished work. Ah, so what does it look like to walk in newness of life? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Which reminds me, one of the resources that was so helpful talked about the pieces of a teaching or I think it was talking about preaching specifically. And so you might have like your tension and your resolve And the difference between having that resolve at the beginning of your sermon or, in our case, the beginning of your teaching versus just moving it to the end. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can, again, link. Can we link that resource to the show notes? I'm really pushing these. Let let me read this quote because this was part of a book by Yancey. so helpful. Arrington called, like, getting down the, I don't know what it was, something, uh, preaching something. Uh, Tension (laughs) equals attention. He says, keeping (laughs) keeping one uh, keeps the other. When convinced a sermon's content is Christ-centered and biblically faithful, a preacher should then arrange, which I love, because mm-hmm. that, uh, you've said it five times, we don't start with right. like, ooh, how can we be compelling? Yeah. So when convinced a sermon's content is Christ-centered and biblically faithful, 
a preacher should then arrange that sermon with tension, not explanation as the driving factor. It is a big first step to creating a sermon that moves people in the right way for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And so the contrast was um, explanation driven driven is just Mm -hmm. saying the things. Yeah. Just saying all the things. It's like you state right. the tension, you state the resolve to the tension, and then you go and talk more about it. Versus you state the tension, you talk about the tension, or you talk about the text, rather, and then you're going to resolve it at the end. And hopefully the ideas people are... Because it's like all the stories that we shared. Mm-hmm. You want to know what's the resolve at right. the end. You want to know, does Jack let go or get <laughs> yeah. off the ice? You, <laughs> you want to know, not. what about that flower? Uh, preaching that moves people. How to get down the mountain of your messages with maximum impact by Yancey here. Yeah. So. There you go. I thought that was really helpful. Even just very practical for someone like me who wants to give you the punchline before I really get through the joke. Yeah. You know, or who wants to tell. I and I think it requires patience, and that also explains a lot because I'm definitely impatient. And but I think Angie said, and a lot of us said, like we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want our hearers to be uncomfortable. But the yeah. reality is, I don't think Jesus takes the same approach. <laughs> no. He yeah. uses parables. <laughs> And he's okay with the uncomfortableness, right? For the that's, sake of yeah, no, that's that's the point of not the point, but we gather together as saints on Sundays and throughout the weekend groups because we live the rest of our lives in a world mm-hmm. probably that's not built around Jesus, yeah. you know, and and that's familiar and it's comfortable, and we've built our ruts and our habits and our rhythms and all those things. Hopefully, like as much as we can in. Ways led by the Spirit and shaped by the Word and all that stuff. But at the same time, like, we, we get to gather together to, like, be disrupted a little mm-hmm. bit. Like, to be reminded of uh, we are living in the already, not yet. We're, we're living in the not yet part. Like, you're not in the already. Um, and, and some people need, when they show up, they know that they're not in the not yet. And so they mm-hmm. need to hear about the already, you know. And so we get to have both of those things a part of our sermons. But I think part of what we get to do is... Yeah, and in conversations or whatever, like we get to have a disruptive presence. It's the the Hebrews thing that you were at the very beginning. You know, it's that we get to lay exposed. Mm-hmm. You know, in some ways, and and I just don't think that we receive the gospel with all the glee and the gladness and the rejoicing mm-hmm. and celebrating that we do if we think, oh, we don't really need it that much. You know, right. and so like that's the like it, even walking through like what's the what's the conflict and what are the stakes in this and all right, shh, now how does that look to me? And then I get to, uh, in terms of tension, like how, how now does Jesus resolve that conflict? What now are the stakes? What are the stakes? Now that Jesus has secured this room, what are the stakes? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, What do I get to live in? And then now how do I, like if, if the tension is what kind of drew me in in the first place, now, like with the freedom that I have in Christ, like what? how do I get to live now? Yeah. You know, So I think if we like, we know those things, we get to point people to both and I think we get to create not create discover yeah. explore like <laughs> um, like help people see the need that they already have mm-hmm. for Jesus in their life we get to help people see that by the power of the spirit through the word and then land that you know mm-hmm. land the gospel like hard on them mm-hmm. you know that they might as I said on Sunday Ray Orland talks about floating out of mm-hmm. the gathering because they just see Jesus so much so mm-hmm. yeah Sweet. And then we get the flouting, as you I love that the word. Flouting, I, can't, yeah. I can't pronounce it. Is the change life? So because flouting and floating showing up on Sunday, or that you might be teaching in a flout flout context, they know, they think they know, or they do know the gospel, but there's still like that's not mm-hmm. the end of the story. That's the beginning yeah. of the story in a lot of ways, and so our lives should be changed because of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's good. We've talked a lot about what this looks like in community group discipleship more than I was expecting us to have at this point. But is there anything you guys want to add? Because again, we can end up being so heavy on preaching, but 
the majority of our listeners aren't preaching. And so what does this look like in a group setting or discipleship relationships? Anything you guys want to add to that? Uh, I have a couple things. Um, one is uh, just being mindful. Like we talked about this on Sunday. Um, trying to do this in like conversations or in discussions. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is, honestly, it's, it's easier um, it's something that you can control more when you're preaching yeah. uh, or teaching when you have an outline and you're the, you're the one talking for 40 minutes, you know, <laughs> yeah. like you get to kind of control that a bit when you're in a, a discussion or a conversation it can be a little bit more difficult. Um, but just to be mindful that as, as people are talking, um, the way they live their lives, like all of that stuff, those you're looking at and hearing symptoms of what people believe the solution is to whatever they think the problem is mm-hmm. in their life. And our hope is that in Christ, if they're, they have you know the spirit dwelling in them and live by the word, that they are like living out of a place that's good and holy and driven by you know gospel-centered motives and all those things. But more often than not, like there are probably some, they're living out of a false solution to mm-hmm. a false problem. And, and so every conversation that you have with someone is a spiritual conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't say that, like in a weird way, but it's just true. You know, like if we believe that discipleship is all of life, uh, that worship is all of life, then man, like when we're talking to somebody over coffee or about work or about whatever, like we're hearing from them what they think like the the good life is or what their bad life is and what the problems are and what they're going to do or not do, you know, in response to that stuff. And so even as we're like, we're talking to people or having conversations, I just think it's super helpful to have that in mind of like, what are they thinking the the problem is even just mm-hmm. without them even saying it based on how they're living what do they what do, what do they think their ambition is what's their goal what's their desire what's their need um, and then like for us to think man what well, is that is that really what their real problem is and to explore that with folks and so mm-hmm. um, yeah even even going with folks to those places encouraging them what what happens if this, this thing that you're shooting for like that you have right now or the thing that you really want what happens when that goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, what if that fails you in some, what if that relationship, you know, just fizzles at some point or that job you get let go of or whatever, like you get to go with people to that place and show them like if their life is built on sand or even this little part of their life is built on a foundation of sand, like man, that that that's actually the case and then build for them, show them what it looks like for Jesus to be the foundation of that instead. Um, yeah. So that, that's one bit. Um, the other is just a, a practical, uh, to, to your point, Michael, like kind of talking about a funnel, getting people on board. Um, it is sometimes easy in conversation to help people think outside of themselves first. Um, just like Nathan, just like your intros or illustrations or whatever. Like think, think about that. Let me tell you a story. Let me whatever. And oh, okay. Like I relate to that. And yeah, that's messed up, man. And then <laughs> and then you get to turn the rubber band. Yeah. And, Pointing them like, so how does that show up in your life? Or, uh, or, and that's exactly what we do uh, when yeah. we do this, you know. And so that kind of stuff, I think, sometimes is helpful in group conversations to think about the church at large, or to, to think about the culture or whatever. But then not to stay there, mm-hmm. you know. And then we just become finger pointers outside, and, and we want to invite the spirit in to do work in us. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, sometimes it's easier to start there, and then you got to figure out what it looks like to then bring that back inward to in conversations yep so that's all yeah, I got. I, similar stuff i think that's i think that's good mm-hmm. i just think that patience thing comes into not we talked about like not 
jumping the gun for people and letting them kind of think through themselves. Well, what would this look like? Or just, I think it's that clearly what was a takeaway for me is not resolving the tension too quickly Mm -hmm. for myself or anybody else. And so letting people sit in that tension for a while and hypothesize about what the resolve might look like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So finally, um, this is, we're going to take a look at Jonah one. Maybe are we, I should have, I meant to pause longer in case you want to edit this out. No, it's it's fine. All right. Let's do it. Okay, so um, on Sunday, Michael had us look at Jonah 1 to practice this idea of discovering tension and resolve. If you want to, as you're listening along with us, pause this, go grab your Bible and open up to Jonah 1 so you can see what we're talking about, or you are free to just listen and look it up later, or just listen. Um, But Michael, do you want to walk us through how you would approach teaching Jonah 1 using this idea of tension for the good of the hearer? Yeah, so just as a little summary... um, Jonah 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from, I love that, Tarshish, (laughs) from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, he found a ship going to Tarshish, Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, and and he just, he went far away. All right, and then this is what happens is, so he, he got on a boat, he went the wrong direction, um, and then like storms around and then there's like some people and you're like, are these people pagans or like they're religious of some types, you know, who's, who's at fault and let's like, uh, cast lots. I think they cast lots and like Jonah's name comes up and he's like, okay, I'm, I'm like running from the Lord and I hear it in like a veggie tales like <laughs> thing. But anyway, I, I'll try to avoid that. So then they're like, all right, what do we have to do? Like, let's throw them overboard and like, maybe that will spare us. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and uh, the sea ceased from its raging. To have some theology of like God's sovereignty, you know, a lot yep. already going on here. But then, then they feared the Lord, which is super cool. But then verse 17, and the Lord appointed some other stuff in there, a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and nights. And then, then we stop. So I'm just going to talk for a couple minutes. Is that yep. okay? Yep. Yep. Um, say 2009-ish was a part of something called the Red River Race down in uh, Slade, uh, Kentucky. And uh, around, uh, yeah, and, and so we did something, man, it was kind of like Amazing Race meets Survivor. Lots of fun stuff. Anyway, one of the things, I was on like the crew, and um, we had three people working this one challenge that had to set up like a repelling rope and all kinds of stuff. And we told them like, you're, you're going down this trail, stay near the river, right? And they're carrying like nearly hundreds of pounds of stuff, right? Like uh, at least a mile and a half. Stay near the river. Uh, you're going to see some other trails. Just stay near the river. Like stay to the right. When you get to this cliff, you'll know that whatever. Stay near the river. So long story short, uh, we get where everyone gets where they are supposed to be. And, and at some point things are like wildly off because they don't show up. No one knows where they are, um, and and we at that point cell phones don't work there. There's no no way to yeah. communicate. Hours go by, oh and we're like, this is not good. Like the race is, I mean, the race is in jeopardy because people can't do the challenge. Mm-hmm. But more than that, we're like, no, but seriously, this is not good, All right? So I would I would tease that out further. But anyway, if this if these people had just did what we asked them to do, it would have spared them a ton of grief. And like all this stuff wouldn't have been bow jangled. They turned left at some point. They they went away from the river, up a mountain, 
and ultimately had to literally get help from a guy who pointed a gun at them to drive them back. You know, da-da-da-da. You get the idea, right? So, man, like, following directions, like, is kind of a big deal, right? And, mm-hmm. and it can get you into some terrible things when you don't. And if that's true for us, dumb people down in the Red River Gorge, can you imagine what it would be like if we don't listen to God, mm-hmm. the creator of the universe, to the thing? That might be an intro. Yeah, there's your intro. Right. Have so, you guys preached Johnny yet? Because I think that should be on the docket. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the white. Yeah, yeah, the first one halfway down. Yeah, so, so, so then I would say something like this. When God says go, it's probably best to go. <laughs> that would be like yeah. the thing that I would probably go back to several mm-hmm. times. Um, and then, and so that, that was, uh, I mean, a few minute aim at building tension. Um, and then we can talk about, gosh, there are ways in which we hear God speak and we might reject him and, you know, da-da-da, whatever. Um, and then kind of as it unfolds, God calls us to hard things. He calls Jonah to go to a place. Nineveh is a terrible city. Lots of violence. Mm-hmm. It's, it's scary, whatever. How, do, how does he call us to hard things? Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, God uh, opposes our rebellion. This storm, it's not an accident. It's clearly God's hand. And, uh, so how does God oppose? How does he come against us, right? And then at the very end, verse 17, God's provision sees his plans through. And so up to that point, we feel like, oh my gosh, I let God down. I let his mission down. The Ninevites, it's over. But, but in like unexpected ways, God uses three days in the belly of a fish to da-da-da-da-da. And in, an, in another time, in an unexpected way, God used three days of darkness to da-da-da-da-da. Oh, and then we we're then set free to joyfully join what it is that God has us to. Mm. Yeah, there you go. That's good. Boom. It's the shortest sermon sermon you've ever preached. (laughs) That's true. So, like, is there a quick summary to what, like, if you were saying, what is the tension in that text? Yeah, so uh, something along the lines of obedience or, uh, yeah, I'd say just obedience. God is, I mean, in the first two lines, God calls Jonah to do something, Mm -hmm. and he says, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's so good. This is very similar. Like when I was looking at it, it's like our disobedience leads to death or leads to despair or whatever. That's if we're like kind of using Angie's uh, conflict, suspense, tension. It's the conflict obviously is immediate at the beginning when mm-hmm. God says, go here, Jonah, go somewhere else. There's your two fingers between yep. the rubber yep. bands. The rubber band, the tension is like he's on the boat. Uh, someone's got to go, you know, like the, the stakes are that like clearly there's someone here who's ticked off their God. And, and so you find out it's, oh, it's Jonah. And so, like, the stakes are now either, like, everyone dies if he doesn't do anything or just Jonah dies and they'll go go on their own way. And then, like, the tension, I think, is felt most when he's he's literally in the water and just, like, despairing, you know. Because um, that's when it becomes, like, just deeply... Pre- the question is, how does he get out of this? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's how the episode ends, you know. Usually, on the, it's like, how does God get out of this? Yeah. Um, the next one begins with the fish, like you know, so on. But like, that's the tension, and that's the beauty of like what we get to do. Though we don't end simply on the tension, but we get to end with the good news, which is yeah, mm-hmm. that despite our disobedience, like God in His faithfulness rescues us, you know, in mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. It's fun. It was a fun exercise. Yeah, it was good. That was a fun chapter to do that with, too. Thanks, guys. That was good. Uh, do you guys have any last thoughts, comments? Uh, I do not. We covered it all? We covered yeah. it all in a short hour. <laughs> it's time. only an hour. <laughs>
Cool. Uh, sweet. Well, um, real quick. Uh, yeah, so the next two months, um, May and June of 2021, we will not be meeting um, on Sunday mornings. We're going to take a, a break. Michael's For the round table. <laughs> what? The oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, sorry. I, I only have the round Scratch table. Scratch that from the record. I only have the round table in view. and so Why is no one here? Uh, no, next two months, teaching roundtable is not meeting um, in May and June. We'll post that in all the places. Yeah. It's a good thing only three people will see this. Um, Bailey, no. come to church on Sunday. <laughs> right. Lindsay, come to church. Angie. Uh, David, David, come to church. Uh, so yeah, Brian, for a, well, we're taking a couple months off. Uh, Guatemala stuff, there's just a lot of stuff going on over the next month or two um, here for us. And so we'll push pause, we'll come back strong in... July? What did, what did we say? The, so. Did we say? Oh, what I the, don't know. Sorry. Yeah, Never have to rework the. Um, we'll rework It'll it or whatever. Riveting. So it's a mystery. It's a surprise. There's your, <laughs> there's your suspense. There's tension. Your tension. Don't know what's coming up next, but uh, we'll meet again be? next time in July. Uh, yeah. So thanks for listening to this. Hopefully it was helpful for you all. We really enjoy it. Thanks to Angie who helped out this last time. Thanks to all of you who come and participate. Uh, even if you can't come, who listen to this. Um, hopefully it's it's good for you. So thanks, guys, and we'll see you next time.